looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Roger. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 77 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you back for another spectacular week of podcast goodness. This week, I am so excited. My guest is John Heffron. That's right, John Heffron, winner of Last Comic Standing Season 2, one of the most hilarious comedians ever. We both went to Eastern Michigan University. I didn't know him, but that is where I saw him for the first time while in college. We talk a lot about that. So I'm so excited to have gotten the chance to finally meet and talk with John about his career and all that good stuff. And I'm so excited to share that conversation with you. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. I don't usually dedicate an episode to anyone specifically, but this week, with all the talk of Eastern Michigan University with John Heffron, I do want to dedicate this episode to my dear friend, Aaron Rubin, who recently lost his battle with cancer who I met at Eastern Michigan University. We were friends for decades. I know he would have loved this conversation, as it also includes our good friend Jeff Katz. Life is short, everybody, so definitely hug and kiss the ones you love. Tomorrow's never guaranteed. Enjoy today. I miss you, Aaron, and this one is for you. Whew, all right. Ah, did not know if I'd be able to get through that, but here we are. I do want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. It really does. I appreciate all your subscriptions and likes and follows and all the podcast apps. Which podcast app, Jeff? Whichever one you love the most. Good Pods, Podchaser, Apple, Google, Podcast Republic, whatever it might be. Thank you very much. Tell all your friends about the podcast. That's how we grow. You can also head over to jeffisfunny.com, home of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show on the World Wide Web. There you can buy me a coffee, you can sign up for my mailing list, you can listen to every episode of the podcast, so much you can do. Also, this is exciting. So our live show that we do every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time called Crossing the Streams. You can watch us live on YouTube or Twitter, Epic Macher, B-I-G-M-A-C-H-E-R, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jeff is funny. We go live every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. There's 45 episodes on YouTube you can check out right now. Amazing TV watching suggestions. But here's the cool thing. We're now live on Fireside simultaneously. So if you have the Fireside app, go to firesidechat.com slash Jeff Dwoskin. There you can catch the last couple episodes we streamed via Fireside. Download the Fireside app. Well, Jeff, why should we listen via Fireside? Well, here's the exciting thing. On Fireside, I can bring you up from the audience and we can actually talk during the show. On YouTube, you can comment and we can put the comments on screen, which is super fun. Don't get me wrong. But on Fireside, you can actually join the conversation. So check that out. Firesidechat.com slash Jeff Dewaskin, JeffIsFunny.com. You got a lot, a lot to do this week. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get on with the show. And now it's time for the social media tip. 
All right, this is the part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. A little 411 I picked up on the street so we can all elevate our social game together. Who are you, Jeff? Oh, I don't know. I just I used to run social for a billion-dollar company. I've had my own social company for many, many, many years, and I love giving back. One way we give back is through hashtag Roundup. You know hashtag Roundup. We're going to read tweets from one of the hashtag games we do every day at the end of the show. So hang on for that. The social media tip this week. Hey, Jeff, wasn't firesidechat.com kind of a social media tip? Yes, it was. I guess you get a twofer. And this is a twofer for me because this allows me to give you a little bit of a social media tip if you're an event, but also talk about an event I was just at. I mentioned in the previous episodes, I was at the Motor City Comic Con. That was so cool. I got to run two panels and judge the cosplay contest. That was super fun. I ran a panel with Patrick Renna, Ham from The Sandlot, and David Yost, the original True Blue Power Ranger. So that was super fun. Love doing that. And I'm sure I'll be back at the next one. But here's a social media tip for you. Something the Motor City Comic Con did extremely well. They had a hashtag called hashtag MC and then the number three, MC3. And what they did is they asked everyone who was there taking pictures to use that hashtag across the different platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So in essence, they were able using this hashtag for their event to collect massive amounts of photos that people took at their event. That's an excellent use of a hashtag for any kind of event, Comic-Con, Bar Mitzvah, wedding, whatever it might be. I got to work in my time at the Motor City Comic-Con, got to give you a cool social media tip. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed sharing it. And that's the social media tip. I do want to thank all of you for supporting the sponsors week after week. It means the world to me. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. This week's sponsor, Ypsilanti, Michigan's own Spaghetti Bender. That's right. No better place to gather with good friends for some good times. If you're looking for spaghetti, then you need to head over today. Yeah, we got pasta. We got pizza. The best Italian food you're going to find in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Friendly people, crazy atmosphere, and cheap prices. Prices so cheap, you won't even believe it's spaghetti. But according to our lawyers... It's still legally spaghetti. People come from all over the world for spaghetti at the Spaghetti Bender. We got spaghetti with meat sauce, spaghetti with meatballs, spaghetti with Italian sausage, spaghetti with marinara, and spaghetti with garlic butter. If you want spaghetti, we got spaghetti. And we're going to throw in some homemade minestrone soup and our very own legendary house salad. So if you're hungry for spaghetti, head over to the Spaghetti Bender today in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Use code Jeff It's Funny for 44% off their already ridiculously low prices. All right. I highly recommend spaghetti from the Spaghetti Bender. Quite delish. I'm kind of hungry now. I think I'm going to go grab something to eat. So I think that's the perfect time for me to share my conversation I had with comedian and Detroit legend John Heffron with you. Enjoy. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, comedian, author, Detroit legend, John Heffron. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I don't know what the protocol is. If you're allowed to, when you're doing somebody else's podcast, are you allowed to bring in your own music? Like, I was thinking about that. Like, I'm a guest on your podcast, but if you were to say to me, comedian John Heffron, and then I just kind of piped in, with my own background music 
and also my own cheering. I think that's a little bit egotistical. It's almost like, you know, I walk into somebody's house and I set the, I don't know how to turn these off now. And I set, you know, the temperature. So I don't, I don't know what the podcasting etiquette is. I think if you bring your own intro music, there could be a, a moment of awkwardness. With well, that. I was, I was doing that when COVID first happened, the first round COVID point one, we're in COVID, you know, upgrade point two right now. And I was doing a bunch of zoom stuff new to it, you know, still don't love it. But I found a way I found all these like one person giggling or, or kind of laughing a little. And I found some male voices, some female voices, not big crowds laughing, like one or two person. And on my little thing that I play sound bites and music for my podcast, I would as I was talking, I would just hit a little bit of laughter. Like somebody was just like giggling. And the whole time I was just doing these dumb zooms, I was just sweetening. I was sweeten the audience. I think if you're doing a Zoom and you want to sweeten to keep yourself going, I think that's fair. Yeah, that should have been, and I don't even know if it was, that should have been a biz. Like if I could have hired somebody that had all those laughter in, in those soundtracks and then logged them on into one of the Zooms and they just listened and they were just kind of firing off the, the random noises, that would have been a thing. I would have had that person go be on every Zoom with me that they could, you know, because a lot of times you do, I would do those zooms and I would just stare at 20 red microphones with slashes through them. There was literally no response. And you would tell people, Hey, can you open your mics or have some type of, and maybe two people would, and then you'd hear their kids whipping by them or screaming or something. So I'm like, seems like this could be all faked just to make it enjoyable as the performer. I think it's a good idea though, for a good side hustle. I don't want to wish the pandemic to kick up so I could start that side hustle with you. One of the Zoom for some company I did, that they actually had a row. So every time you do, there's a billion different services you use to do live stuff. And this one had a row of 20 people and there were little squares below you. Those people had their video on so everybody could see those 20. And it was a lot of people disinterested, like just staring. You can tell they're reading stuff online. You can tell they were eating. So then I thought with all, all the out of work actors in the world, that seems like that would have been a thing where you could have filled it with 10 people that smile and kind of laugh just the whole show. You pay them 15 bucks for that half hour that they had to sit there. That seems like that could be a thing. That is a great idea. I was talking to Craig Shoemaker and he had like a little studio in his in his house or wherever he was filming. And he'd bring in 10 people during the COVID stuff. So they'd have actual people reacting in the room with him while he was doing the Zoom calls. Would that be as in this had nothing to do with, with Craig? I'm just saying, you know how you get invited to like a kid's graduation or a five-year-old's birthday party or a wedding? How just what an inconvenience and how much you don't want to do whatever it is. Can you imagine if you were friends with a comedian and they said, can you come to my house and sit in my little office while I do material on a Zoom call? There's no way. There's no way I'd make that. I, I would definitely be texting halfway there going, eh, there's a big boulder fell in front of the car and <laughs> you know, a couple of people are dead. So I don't, I don't think I can make it. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of it from that point of view. I was thinking of it as from the point of view that it was helping him, but you're right. I didn't think even from the people he was inviting. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you'd have to, after the show, tell the, cause we're all the same. You'd have to tell comedian, Hey, that was a really good, that was really good. 
because then they're going to want feedback. So then you got to do, hey, that was good. Yeah, that, that one joke. I've never heard it before. I couldn't think of a worse scenario. Although I did one. I, ha- I had a video, and now I'm trying to think of where it was, where Cisco had this video wall, and you could basically, you would stand in front of it. It was Zoom. It's everything we're doing now, but this was like 15 years ago or maybe even 10. So you went to a conference room and the whole wall was a video and I had to perform the people who were in with like DC, New York and Los Angeles. So I was in a room with 20 people and each of those cities I just said had 20 people in that room. And they were trying to show this video conferencing that was so crazy and you could be just like you were in, in the meeting with them. So I was doing Zoom calls actually 10, 15 years ago I was doing comedy. So you're way ahead of the curve. This pandemic then should have been cakewalk for you. Yeah, I should have dusted, you know, it was kind of a cool setup. Now, now that I think about it, like, I don't know if anyone used that system, but you had that in your house. So it would be pretty, yeah, we're close to it. I mean, we're actually doing it now. You're just not as big as, you know, my wall. I'm much smaller. Than you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, John, I have been a big fan of yours for a long time. You're probably one of the very first comedians I ever saw. I saw you at, if you're ready for this, we both went to Eastern Michigan. Nice. I saw you at the Spaghetti Bender. Oh, man. Holy mackerel. That had to have been 25 years ago at the minimum when I was in college. What year did you graduate college? 92-ish, I believe. 92. Okay. so 93. Yeah. So me too. Me too. So uh, yeah. So probably 89, 90, somewhere. somewhere yeah. Yes. That's hilarious. I did that. Oh, I did a show at the Spaghetti Bender. Oh, I wonder how that went. Probably horrible. I, c- I couldn't even imagine getting up. Well, maybe I did because at the time I was probably 20 myself just doing comedy. It was a full bar full of people my own age. I was probably excited about it. You were. And here's a funny story. Okay. Right? So flash forward to the year. What year was the first last comic standing? 2004. I get a call from my friend Jeff Katz. And he says, Jeff, are you watching last comic standings? John Heffron. He was a huge fan of yours in college. Oh, wow. At that Spaghetti Bender <laughs> show, he heckled you. And um, oh, he's like, do you remember I heckled John Heffern? And I'm like, I mean, I remembered, but I, you know what I mean? And he was like, it's funny because I didn't start doing stand-up comedy until many, many years right. later. But like for some reason, certain things imprint in your head. And the, the moment of watching you and him kind of calling you out for, why aren't you doing new material? This is what he said. Oh, okay. New material. So new, at the time. Okay, go ahead. Uh, of opinions. Well, at the time, I was like, yeah, that's weird. But from his point of view, now that the kind of looking back, he was like a huge fan. He just wanted to hear new material. He didn't understand. Later, when I did comedy, and that moment always stuck with me. I always remembered that interaction. <laughs> right, right. And, but later, I remembered, well, of course, you do the same thing over and over again. I didn't, re- I didn't recognize that till I started doing it. Right. Right. So it was some joke. He remembered even the joke that he cut you off on. It was something like, uh, excuse me for damaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was something to his recollection, because I asked him if I could talk about it. It was something like, uh, I cut myself shaving. I didn't nick it. It's a cut. Nick is the guy that lives down the street. That was Nick, Nick. Oh, that's an old school. Some of all getting a haircut. Yeah. Oh, I haven't thought about this, which means I'm going to start doing this on stage again. Means it's a new bit, and then your buddy's gonna be mad that I'm still doing the nick bit. But it was something about like a bar, like a barber nicking you and said I cut you or I nicked you. I'm like that's a cu-. yeah or something like that. Here's what's why that story's funny. So if the math works out, he saw me do that at the spaghetti. There were I, it wasn't like I was on TV. 
It wasn't like he watched it on a special. There wasn't even com like if you go that far back, there wasn't even comedy anything. It was such a weird, like, that's why me performing at this spaghetti bender, that almost makes me so nervous now because it wasn't like, you know, you were watching Netflix and, and you were familiar with how comedy works. It wasn't like Comedy Central was even a thing. Maybe during our era, there was like MTV half hour comedy hour, maybe, but it wasn't popular. Like nobody like watched it. So that dude must have saw me MC the at the time would have been the Main Street Comedy Showcase is now the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. So he must have saw me MC there. And then three weeks later, I do. I probably only had 11 minutes of material anyway. He saw me do the same bit that I did in Ann Arbor. I was like, come on, man. There's six of us that have seen that bit. It's time to time to start writing. Yeah, that's funny. I wonder even then how I would even handle Heckler. I couldn't even imagine. I probably peed a little, you know, probably at the spaghetti bender, though. People were walking around. It was it was you, him and me were probably the only people that knew that there was a comedy show going on there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I just don't see like people sitting, paying attention and just watching a show. At the moment I was watching it, I enjoyed it. I had a different perspective at years later after doing comedy and having been to places like Club Barts or, you know, just the one nighter type yeah, places. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, do you want to say anything to him now? <laughs> this Tosh.0 <laughs> moment. What do you say? Yeah. So I'm assuming, uh, you know, he was, you know, so hungry for new material. I'm assuming he's uh, purchased all my albums and anything I've ever done. Profila, profila. But I am excited that he remembered that because I do not remember that bit. I found an old tape of me probably in 92. Somebody brought their huge VHS tape recorder and I taped a whole like an maybe an hour show. Maybe I was headlining in Ann Arbor and I got so excited to watch it because in my brain, I'm like, this material is so old that it's going to be new. I just found a new hour of material. Nobody's seen it. And it was just all. So um, my roommates, I'm 22. Boy, I'm getting older. I'm almost 25, like talking like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Apologize that he went there to Spaghetti Bender, uh, risk getting his car or his life uh, jacked um, in that area. Uh, and then I apologize that he probably went to Deja Vu just on the street afterwards. And I apologize for whatever horrible stripper gave him a lap dance. So I apologize for whatever that night, you know, he probably made, went to the wooden nickel after. Probably did Jaeger shots. So I apologize for how that night ended for him. Oh, my God. I totally forgot Deja Vu was there. Right? <laughs> like, it was, I don't even, oh, oh. I remember that their tagline was something like 30 beautiful women and one ugly one or something. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah, I, I'm sure, like, strip clubs, I don't even, I'm sure they exist. Now, I'm it's so out of my realm. But you know the ugly one. I see somebody trying to cancel that phrase at a strip club. Like, that's the thing, you know, that somebody probably complained about. Like, you, you're being, you're making fun of the one ugly stripper. Right. It's probably the problem. Not the human trafficking part of, of the whole strip club industry. But right. that was probably somebody was mad that they were making fun of an ugly stripper, which is all proportional or objective. It's all the eye of the beholder. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The beholder. <laughs> so how did you, how did you get into stand-up comedy? What was, what drove you to kind of get on stage? I was uh, just a fan first in, uh, you know, who knows when I was a young, young teen, I would watch it on the tonight show. And I was always excited when there was a stand up on 
And then that was kind of that era where I don't know the math correctly, but maybe Eddie Murphy's album came out somewhere around there. And then everybody knew it or memorized it. And then I had old Carlin stuff. I was just a fan of stand up. Just and then when I turned 18, the, the club would keep talking about in Ann Arbor, you could be 18 to get in. And I just kind of kept waiting and to get excited that I can actually go into this bar or this entertainment thing. So I would go whatever night was 18 and over, uh, maybe a Tuesday night or something. And they had, and that was open mic night. Um, and at the time, I had a, a speech class where I signed up for what it said forensics. And I legit, I've never even done a joke about this. I thought it was blood splatter bullet wounds i thought it was police forensics like forensic science competitive speech is the same exact name i don't understand why there couldn't have been two i don't understand why they 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 have to share it one's public speaking one's blood i like it doesn't even make sense and i didn't read this was back when you couldn't i'm gonna age myself but right you couldn't you we went to school at the same time i don't think you even signed up online i think you had to go and physically stand in line for the class you wanted. And you, you got cards. And you got car Yeah. Like some type of point. It was, I know we just aged ourselves, and we sound like we're a hundred years old, but there wasn't, or maybe a phone number. Like I remember at Eastern, you could call. It was like some phone line because I had a roommate whose girlfriend broke up with him and then called that phone number and dropped him from all of his classes. <laughs> Each class probably had like a number. Yeah, right? and it wasn't like there were passcodes or there was some super system where you had to prove it was you. So you just, so she dropped him. So I remember it was some type of thing like that. And maybe I just didn't read the, uh, so anyway, when Eastern had a, like a really cool speech program in, in communications department. And I remember failing a class and they said, well, if you, I'm sorry, you know what? This story, actually it goes back. The origins is bef right before Eastern at OCC, so completely different, but same story. And I never showed up and he said, well, if you go to this, the competition on Saturday, we won't fail you because it was like pass fail class. And Lay said, if you do one speech at this thing, somebody dropped out or they didn't have enough people, you'll pass. And it was a humorous speech and I did it. And then uh, they said it was really funny, but there was no structure in the speech. So then I started going to Ann Arbor and started seeing open mic there. And just like everyone else, a lot. I mean, I just saw some horrible acts. And I was like, man, I think I can, you know, I don't even, I think I can do this. And then we would sit, and I've told this story a million times, but we'd sit in this one girl section uh, just so we could stare at her. She was a waitress at the club. And then she came to us and said, hey, do you want to sign up for open mics? And I said, yeah, just because that, you know, me saying yeah to her meant I was talking to her for two seconds. And that waitress was Lucy Liu, the actress. That was her. So she signed me up for open mic. And then the next Tuesday, I started going every Tuesday after that at, at 18, 19. And then I was hooked. Then I was just, then that became my, even at Eastern, kind of like I had, I had friends at Eastern, but I didn't really go out. I was always performing. Like, so my weekends were going to Ann Arbor. There are a couple other clubs that no longer exist that were all within two hour driving. So every Thursday through Saturday, I was just emceeing, you know, and did that all through college. I had heard Lucy Lou worked at, was a ticket person at Ann Arbor. Yeah, she was a uh, waitress. Yeah. Yep. That's so cool. So, so Lucy Lou asks you to do open mic, you do open mic. And then that changes the trajectory of your life. Yeah, because the first one, I get on stage and I just did my speech. And it was like, not be, it was funny. Like it was all mom stuff, mom material. 
because I was 18. I didn't have a big perspective. And then I remember the manager of the club at the time said, hey, you're really funny, but you shouldn't talk about the same subject your whole time up there, which is horrible advice. And I was on stage for looking back probably three minutes. So really, I need to throw in five topics in three minutes, right? So the next week I came back with all dad material. And then, then I started building the set, you know, then it was like all brother, little brother and sister material. Then bam, I have this 10 minute family set. And then it just kind of, I started stacking it on from there. How long was it before you started either featuring or then kind of where you could do 45 minutes as a headliner? I went, I don't, I don't remember, but it felt like it happened pretty quick because I was working so much as an MC. I was also 20. So I was pretty, not even obsessed. I just really saw because keep in mind now the level of comics that are out there are just there's a lot of really good ones people have some kind of perspective but when i was saying it was all these 80s kind of road road comics like there was good ones in there went on to be super famous but there were a lot of this these like road hacky type guys a lot of boy i, I dropped my soap in the shower and i, I remember some of their bits like and i had to, had to keep kicking it it was just really anti get like just it, it was just bad i remember just being 20 something going this sucks like they're not even like so my stuff got pretty tight pretty fast or even as an mc if you were featuring i would make my goal to make it really hard for you to follow me that's awesome but just by but not be not egotistical but just going nobody's doing their job like even now now, after 30 years of doing stand-up, now I'm a little crotchety old guy, but I look at a lot of hosts I work with, you know, in every city, I'm going, God, you host bad. You're not, you're like, nobody tell you how to host. It's a thing. Not just, you know, there's bad hosts that do really bad things. And then, you know, they have their one masturbation or pot should be legal joke and then they get to it. But the rest of the show is kind of, kind of sucks. But so I was a really good host. Like I would make that, I knew how to separate my jobs there to welcome people, do announcements, and then scatter in one or two bits and make sure I get the intros right. Like that I knew. So that happened quick. And because I was clean, now knowing this at, you know, after again, 30 years, headliners would say, hey, can we have that guy? Is that kid still around? Because I didn't step on anyone's toes. I wasn't doing material that anyone else was doing. And I was clean. So I think I worked more than, you know, most a lot of people try so hard to move past the MC spot at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, which I know you're. Yeah. Mark was always very kind to me when I started off. He gave me tons and tons of opportunity. It's hard because you're walking out into that cold audience and it's really yeah toughens you up so that when it does get easier, meaning like, you know, you're featuring, which is kind of like considered like the the easier spot, not easier, but you know what I mean? Like the, uh, the it's been warmed yeah. up, you walk out, you do your thing. And then I had a friend who moved through, who kind of almost jumped to featuring. And so when it got tough, he always found it difficult. That's really, I think what I'm seeing is about is handling the harder situations so that when you have to handle them later, you can handle them more with finesse because you kind of took all the hits when you're just an MC. Plus, I mean, it never, if we're talking you know, how the sausage is made in comedy, it never goes away. So, so people who don't know how to host or walk up cold to an audience that ends up, I, I do so many corporate events where you just, you're walking up as cold as possible. Um, th Listen, the zeros I'm getting paid it, have, have changed, but it's the same, it's the same exact thing. I've been in front of 3000 people at a convention center where they paid me a lot of money. And the guy, the sound guy in the back of the room does the quote unquote voice of God 
uh, where they go, ladies and gentlemen, but all they hear is, and then nobody's even clapping or one or two people start clapping or, and then you walk up to a completely dead crowd that are still, they're all standing, you know, sitting around at dinner. Nobody's even looking up at you. It never goes away. You never reach a level where you're like, well, luckily I won't ever have to deal with that again. It happens all the time. Do you know Mike Green? Mm-hmm. He'd have like these corporate gigs. Yeah. He made some good money. He says, just come do 10 minutes, Jeff. Yeah, but the only thing I care about, get my name right. <laughs> Make it a good introduction when I get up there. Yeah, it's it's important because if people don't know what they're about to see, especially with comedy, it's it's like one of those things. Yeah, so, so now though, now in 2021 with comedy, it's a little different. Like people aren't starting through that club system anymore. Now, now it's a, a kind of archaic that there, there's, if you have a good podcast or man, I know people selling out shows or, you know, bouncing around a lot of clubs that had three TikTok videos. That was it in their filling rooms. And suddenly they're headliners. They have zero skill. There's not even right. They're only performing in front of their psycho fans that happen to what? You have a three minute TikTok. So there's a lot of people that just skip that and will, you know, won't know. But, you know, this is where I sound like the old guy where I go back in my day. But, you know, walking up in front of I had this debate and I'll leave people's names out of it. But somebody was like, oh, that that person. I'm like, they're like an okay comic, but they only perform in front of their bubble of people that are fans of theirs. If I was to take that person and put them in front of 100 random people, would they do as well? There is a whole different skill set to walk in front of a hundred strangers than it is the people who are listening to you every week and really kind of know you. You could get away. You're skipping all the get to know me part because they already know you. So they'll they'll laugh and whatever. So it's a weird skill that in, in back kind of, you know, if you go 90s, the comedy clubs in anywhere, people would just buy tickets and not know who the comic was. Thursday night, you would just buy tickets and you didn't know who you're getting and you would it would be a crapshoot where now you know people don't go into a place unless they know exactly who the headliner is or at least went online and looked them up or stuff like that i agree with you with the the bursts of fame the club owners have been doing that for a while with like bringing in a stormy daniels or yeah you know like uh or actors that are just trying i remember when i when i was starting it was uh and I'm not saying anything bad about these people, but so they were like soap stars were the ones where the, the Instagram type people at, you know, at the time. Right. And I remember opening for a couple of them and it was just women just showing up just to see them. And it was just like a hour long Q and a, it wasn't even, there wasn't even anything, but there were a lot of soap dudes that were doing that. Mark Ridley, when I first started comedy, I would bring people, you know, like, yeah, I'm doing my open mic because my open mics on Wednesdays was my show. Right. right? So when I first started out and there's a big difference, like doing comedy in in your bubble, as you say, because in your bubble, people know references. You can you can mention things and they'll know what you're talking about, even if you don't talk about them. Right. Mark Ridley pulled me aside one day. He's like, Jeff. I love that you're bringing people, but you need to stop bringing people. Oh, he goes, well, because you have to find out if you're funny in front of strangers. Yeah. If you're funny in front of strangers, then you're funny. <laughs> yeah. And there, there are a couple of Detroit guys, you know, there's that. I just remember being young that I would see crush in almost any scenario. 
when I was younger, I would look at the crowd and go, oh, this crowd looks older. I'm probably, I'm not, because keep in mind, I'm 20 something. They're not going to get my, my, now I look at the crowd and go, oh no, they're younger. They're not going <laughs> to get, uh, but I would see that. Or if they look like bikers or if, if I'd always have an excuse, I would let the, what, what the audience looked like start to intimidate me. And, and that's something you learn later on. I remember I was working with some guy and he looked at the crowd. He's like, what do you, what do you think this audience wants tonight? They get what they get. They don't have a choice. They have zero say in, in what they want or get tonight. Tell them exactly what you want to tell them. They sit there. That's their job. Um, but like guys in Detroit, and I always wanted to do some type of compilation album. I, there's a lot of Detroit guys that just were at a weird time. And I'm you know, social media wise or just where your act is wise. There are a lot of headliners that sat on 45 minutes their entire career. Because nobody, right? I got called out from your friend week two of doing comedy to do new material. These guys went 20 years of being able to, to do the same 45 minutes because they were never on TV and they were bouncing out at all the B room comedy clubs where, you know, they didn't have fans. People, I mean, the club would just fill up and they would, but I'd see dudes that would crush in like Leo DeFore. Do you ever, do you ever see him? Do you know who he is? I love Leo DeFore. But he's one of those guys, if, if you ask anybody in comedy, like who, because he stayed in, in Canada and Detroit was kind of, but dude, he has some bits. One, I'd see him crush no matter what. If it was a biker crowd or white, you know, white collar, whoever he was in front of, Asian, black, white, Latino, any, any ethnic group, any working, whatever, you know, social class, he would get on stage and dis literally destroy with material that I've, you think of anyone's famous bits now, you could go Gaffigan has, has hot pockets, so-and-so's got, you know, you could think of somebody, Leo had or has some, uh, I think of the funniest benchmark bits that to me, like, I'm like, this should be a thing that like is quoted by everybody, right? So, I, and I don't know if he, I've never seen him at a Montreal comedy festival and he's Canadian. I don't know. There's some guys that when I was starting, I don't, you know, looking back, you're like, why didn't you? You should have left. You should have. Or it was just there, you know, so you're just sometimes in that pocket of age where you're you're just too old to do this thing and not, you've been around too much for anybody to think you're new. So no one's going to pay it. But his snowplow bit and yes. some of his pot stuff, he was doing pot material before legit any comic that you can think of that's famous because of doing pot material. Leo was doing it a hundred years before everybody was. Leo's like, he's not intimidating to anyone. He looks like, he, you know, you'd hang out with Leo. Yeah. And so that's probably why he connects yeah. with almost everybody. Anyone. Yeah. There's zero threat, which is weird because I'm from an era where comedy was about being out of shape and being broke. Right. And now I think comedy is going through a very eighties metal phase or actually hairband phase where there's a lot of fluff and I, there's a lot of comics are like in shape and, there's a picture of me on my jet and all this stuff. You're like, you're a comic. You're supposed to have now the thing is just being angry at the world. So that's easy. But, but you know, the, again, that's when I started, it was all, everybody like, well, you know, I, I'd have worked with this kid who had a bit about having a three-way and he was going off and he's like, yeah, I just, I just can't get that bit to work or whatever. I'm like, dude, because your bit is about the funny thing that happens in a three-way. Nobody in that crowd is like, yeah, right. I mean, tell us about it. We always have three. I hate it when that happens, when you're so good looking, two girls want to like, literally you're a comic. You should be talking about never getting laid. 
should be that's where the joke is not uh don't you hate it when supermodels like both of them <laughs> want i'm like oh dude literally talk about going to crossfit and kale shakes and having two i'm like yeah things have changed like <laughs> i miss the big overweight comics that were just horrible to their bodies that's how it was supposed to be i don't know it's kind of like country singers that sing about vacations in the bahamas and jet skis i just don't like it i don't think it should be a thing like kenny chesney i just it, he man that dude bugs me something about i just hate barefoot in the sand type talk from country people because i just you can't i want to hear that you can't afford a vacation I want to hear that you've been working for 20 years straight and your cousin won't even let you borrow the cabin. Like you love your truck, but you need a new one, but if but you love your truck, but it doesn't work. So you're walking. That's why you're hitchhiking. Cause your life sucks. I don't want to hear about, you know, all the pina coladas you're going to drink when you're, when you get to the, you know, Island, you're broke you're from. Yeah. So, anyway. so funny. Oh, oh wait, follow up question from earlier. Once you became famous, did you ever talk to Lucy Liu? No, she, and I've I've told you I've said that story enough on radio and whatever that I've even seen people tweet at her. Never, not even a, <laughs> not even hee hee or thumbs up, nothing. So it's it's probably better though. All right, well that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, I'll say the story if I'm yeah yeah. I'm trying to remember if I had any interaction after. No, I don't think so. I think that was it. And I don't even think, you know, I think she signed me up for open mic and then I never saw her or talked to her again. So she might even quit like the next week or something. Like I had no interaction. I don't remember ever having like a conversation like, how, how do you think the set went or her coming up to me? So had you not met Lucy Lou that particular night and she convinced you to do open mic, what do you think you'd be doing now? All I knew is when I was going to Eastern, I think I was going to be... I was really into psychology and communication. So I think I was going to gonna wanted to be a psychiatrist or then it, it started switching because I knew I was creative and I advertising probably was the way I was going to go or because I enjoyed speech classes and stuff. I also was going to like, well, if I just never leave college, I could just teach speech at Eastern and then never have to figure anything out. So that's probably the ways that I would have went, but it goes in circles. Even now after they're doing comedy with COVID and I'm, you know, sitting here in Michigan, I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? What's going to be the thing? Like, what's, what can I do that? I never have to leave my house. Well, you could become a full-time author. I do want to talk about your books, but I do want to ask about last comic standing first mm -hmm. and the path to last comic standing. Well, you've done two comedy central presents was the first one just before or after winning the second season of Last Comic Standing. One was before I did a Tonight Show and it presents before Last Comic. And then Last Comic and then did another presents and a Tonight Show and a bunch of just other stuff. I did an hour special that was on Netflix. But when Netflix, this is a timing thing, when Netflix was just becoming Netflix, you know, so you had it on there, but it wasn't what it was now. And then it got taken off Netflix because it's just an algorithm thing. And then whoever owns it, put it on Amazon Prime. Of all these events, which is the one where you're like, oh my God, everyone knows who I am now. I'm, I'm John Heffron. I had a couple of those moments. I remember I, I was in Vegas right when last comic started or started airing. And I remember just going, you know, and hadn't been on. And I remember getting stopped like just throughout the casino three times. Like from wherever my wherever I was going, walking from like three of the most random people, like an older dude and then some young girl 
they all mentioned like a bit that I just did, like some golf swing, some uh, old bit. They all mentioned kind of the same bit. I was like, oh, this is a, th- am I a thing or am I, you know? And then just after that, yeah, it, it, especially after last comic, I'm being in the airport at four or 5 a.m., you know, with headphones on and I was just so tired and just people just coming up the whole time. It was cool. But I had little moments of that glimpse, a little for last comic when I, I used to do morning radio here in Detroit, I would be out all the time and people would come up and at least knew my name or recognize my, you know, nasally, my nasally twang. I listened to you with Danny Bonaduce yeah. and the Q crew. <laughs> yeah. So that was, so that was probably like my first experience, like from the comedy central stuff, you know, no one really ever said anything years after last comic. Um, then it turned into, did I go to people would stare for a second and then you can feel them staring and then they'd always come up and I would get, did you go to, you know, so-and-so tavern all the time? I was a bartender there. You look familiar. Were you one of my regulars? Somebody, did you go to whatever high school? Like people just couldn't, they wouldn't immediately, you know, think I was like, was on a show. They would just go, this guy's face is familiar. And they would just guess. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Does your kid play? soccer with my kid it was just like always that and i never want to go well you know but you probably because then you know you have people go no nah, that's not it it's it's a numbers game right so probably not as many people watched comedy central at the time maybe even let's say it was even just two million people but last comic standing your season had something like 15 million plus yeah, we, are, are, we had the most out of all the seasons it was just that was like a perfect wave and this is before social media. Before social media, not a lot of options. I mean, there's people watched network TV. Yeah. So we had we had 15 million people in an episode, but no way to capture them looking back. Like there was no way to then get that fan base. Cause it was we had, well, you had MySpace at the time. My MySpace page crushed it. <laughs> then, you know, as time goes, you know, went on, it got less and less. Because you watch a guy now on America's Got Talent or something. You know, I have a lot of friends that do that show and their numbers. You just watch their social media stuff and their numbers spike like crazy. Josh Blue, who won last comic, he's on AGT. Well, sure. Well, now AGT gets probably even more. I mean, that, yeah. that's like a phenomenon, that show yeah. now. So I don't know how you do comedy in like 90 seconds, though. Wouldn't even know. Yeah, I don't even know how you would do it. It's be impossible. So what was it like being on... Last comic standing with all of those, you were with some huge names, Alonzo Bowden, Kathleen Madigan, Tammy Pescatelli, Todd Glass, Bonnie McFarlane. Like these, these are some huge, huge names. The, is it even at your level? Is it still intimidating? You know what? At the time, like looking back, you know, cause that show was on so long ago. I was like, yeah, that there's no way I should have lasted a week with that group, but everybody's grown since then. You know, there's no way, you know, if you look at it as a sporting event, there's no way I would have been out the first week, you know, compared to, you know, Goldman or Kathleen Madigan. Are you kidding me? With just those two or Alonzo or anybody, Tammy. And I could still, I could still, you know, hold a candle too. I'm not worried about him, but Bonnie McFarland is, it's crazy funny. What helped me on that show was I think Michigan did in the sense where I had a couple (laughs) t-shirts that said the word Detroit on it. And I remember talking in wardrobe, they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna block out any logos because that's just really expensive. So you had to wear everything. Nothing could have a logo on it, anything. There's no print. Or if they did, they put a little piece of black tape over anything that says, 
So I had a, a shirt that said Detroit Soul on it. And they're like, you can't wear that. I'm like, it's not a, it's not a company. It's not a logo. It's just literally the words Detroit Soul. But there was a company in, Detroit, in at the time. It was a clothing company that had Detroit Funk, Detroit Soul, whatever. So I decided where I wore the t-shirt and we were kind of sequestered. So you didn't have a lot of different clothes. So I literally wore the same stuff all the time. And it just wanted promoted the crap out of, out of that person's t-shirt company that I think I bought at some boutique or someplace in Royal Oak, but it let everybody in the Detroit area know I'm from Michigan. I literally think that was a clutch play that when voting started, you know, obviously being from Detroit, you know, Michigan, Detroit, people are very kind of stick with their own in a very, so I I think I got a lot of votes just that way. And at the end of last comic, they didn't let me even get to talk when I won. It was a weird thing, you know, normally I have a thing. And I remember looking at the camera and this was the only thing that was on. And I held up my, you know, my Michigan hand and I pointed at it and I I, I just went, uh, thank you, Michigan. Like it was the only thing I got to say at the end of last comic when I won. Because they go, we're going to cut to you. You have two seconds. They literally said that. And then as the balloons are dropping, they plug season three of Last Comic Standing. That happened two weeks later. But so I just turned my hand, showed the Michigan mitt and went, yeah, thank you. That was it. <laughs> yes, that's us Michigan born. We take care of our own. It was yeah. probably between that and Jeff Katz calling everybody going, hey, remember the guy from the Spaghetti Bender? Plus, that, you know, this was I got fired from Q95 in Detroit. But I just came off of six years of being morning radio in Detroit. So I I had some decent numbers of, of people at knowing who I was, even if they didn't know me as a, as a comedian. It's just just like every politician. It's just it doesn't matter what they believe in or something. It's is their name recognizable. People just vote if, you know, for people that they that, that they recognize their name. So how did you feel? You won. You won $50,000, right? And then how did you feel when season two or season three, how did you feel when season three, when Alonzo walks away with 250000 Yeah. So yeah, I won 50. Alonzo won a quarter of a million like four weeks later. But here's the funny thing about my winning 50. When you won it, you got, you got this thing. It wasn't a TV show. They didn't give you a TV show that was going to be on NBC. It was this thing called a development deal. So that basically, and you got that as part of winning last comic. So you couldn't even say no to it. That was legit. Just like here, you want a bunch of car wax. If you're on prices, right. You can't say, I don't, I don't want that. So it was a, what's the math? It was a, I want $50,000. And that was, it was a $50,000 holding deal is what it was called. Because now you were just on TV for eight weeks or nine weeks at 15 million, there were a lot of other networks that were like, okay, let's maybe grab this guy. So what happens with that $50,000 holding deal is they give you 50 grand and then for a year you can't do anything. So they basically just take you off the market for $50,000, which I know some people are going $50,000 is a lot. It's literally like $5. It's not because I'll do the math for you. So then everybody on Last Comic, you got paid union scale through SAG to be on the show. So every time you saw somebody every week, that person got paid $310, right? Whatever the union thing is. So you're making $310 a week to be on a network show in front of 15 million people. Everybody who made it to the top five all got paid the same. Everybody made $22,000 from start to finish. Right from very first audition, if you were on every single episode, if your face ended up on air, you got twenty two thousand dollars. So I won my fifty, 
Okay. NBC then subtracted the 22 that I already made from the 50, right? It wasn't on top of, they subtracted the 20 from the third, right? So now that bumped me down to 30. And then with taxes at 28% and then agent manager, whatever. And there was some other weird health insurance or, or insurance thing. I deposited a check after winning last comic standing for $4,300. Ouch. <laughs> I know. So I did for 4,300 bucks or maybe it was actually, no, it was 47 because it was under five. So it was like 4,700 bucks because I, you know, I got the check after it went through the ringer and one that the fact that they prorated me, you bastards, right? You prorated me The everybody, Pescatelli, Gary Goldman, Alonzo, everybody made that standard stuff. And then, so yeah, so, so I won on last comic. Yeah. 40, 4,700 was the, was the cash amount I walked away. I did, I did the Detroit soul t-shirt guy. Didn't even send me free t-shirts. So it wasn't even, I didn't even make, you know, any, any coin from that, but it was good though. It all came back. The Detroit soul guy probably sold more than the $4,700 worth of shirts after the, I think he did. I, you know, I think I went to the Chrysler building or someplace. He, the, he had a little store and maybe he was there and they're like, Oh yeah, you wore my shirt on the TV. And like, I remember just being non, non give a shitty. I was like, what? I just wear your shirt like every day on, on, on NBC and nothing. Oh, it's all good though. It's all fun. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Well, it's still awesome that you won. And I imagine that you were able to get more zeros, as you said earlier, when you were doing the clubs. Yeah, that then that changed. And then, you know, everything changed after that. I know we're kind of nearing the end of our time. I You have a, an amazing podcast. Yeah, I do a podcast with another fellow Last Comic Standing winner, uh, John Reap. We do a little uh, Heffern and Reap podcast. I try doing podcasts on my own, and I just don't have it in me. I just don't. I just can't. I just can't babble. It seems like I'm long-winded, but I need somebody talking to me in order to do it. Yeah. That's a fun podcast. You've, you've been doing that for a while. We started like 10 years ago. I'm also bad at follow through. If me and him would have just kept doing it, we go through things like he was gone and then he went through a divorce and he just stopped doing it for a year. And then I'm like, we should do it again. And then we'd start it. Then I went through it and it was always these start and stop. So this one's been somewhat consistent. We just did it over COVID. It was one of those things where I was home going, well, I probably should have been working on this for a while and just cranked it back up. It's fun though. Me and John Reap, I brought him to Michigan and we did this town swap thing where I performed in his his town and then he came to Michigan and he performed here. And then we decided to get a little cray cray and we decided that we wanted to perform at bowling alleys in Michigan all up and down 131. So we put together, it's, it's called the How We Roll Tour. It always amazed me how many bowling alleys do comedy shows <laughs> i didn't know it was a thing i we were literally going let's just let's do like these one nighters since this is back if clubs aren't opening and we can only have 50 people in a room or whatever let's just try to get creative here and then we found out that there's a couple clubs that are in bowling alleys and we don't know what they're like and we're like, let's get back. We feel like it's Rocky Four. When remember when he like trains really rich and then he goes back to the basics. We kind of figured like that's what this is like. Uh, we're gonna do those. Have you been to any of those clubs? I've been to a few. I can't think of the names, but Chaplains, which I'm sure you've been to. Which yeah, Chaplains, um, which is no longer there. But yeah, they they that's where Jeff Fox really started his redneck thing. First time he did it. Yeah, Chaplains was was at two bowling alleys. Yeah, because they all have these banquet halls. When they're not doing banquets, they're doing uh, 
They're doing comedy shows. Yeah. One last thing is you've written a couple of books, The Holding Deal, and you wrote a book called I Come to You from the Future. Yeah, one was the advice one, but The Holding Deal I put out during COVID. Actually, I mentioned The Holding Deal earlier. Uh, That's kind of where I got the idea for it. It's about a comic who wins a reality TV show, but it's all fake. And it's a spy thriller. And he, the comic becomes a courier in every city he goes to. He's supposed to just perform and then drop off a package and that's it. He's not supposed to ask any questions and he gets a few extra bucks every week if he just drops off an envelope to somebody in whatever town he's in. And the craziness happens from there. It's the holding deal. The holding deal. So, so many ways to enjoy John Heffern. Live at bowling alleys. And mostly, here, here's a big way. My social media numbers suck. So if anybody's listening and you're on Instagram, I need to sweeten those numbers. I'm telling you right now. Do I even need music? How about, wait, what's this? No, no, no. I'm going to do this right here. Hey, everybody. It's comedian John Heffern. You just heard me on the podcast. But listen, if you're on Instagram, go to Instagram right now. And in the search, type comedian John Heffern. And you're going to see me and hit the follow button. Just, I, I need... I don't do anything fun on Instagram. I'm going to be honest with you. I do nothing fun. I don't have yoga pants, so I never show my ass in yoga pants. However, I I, I need to beef up the numbers because I've been yelled at, uh, you know, before. For, so, okay. So there you go. <laughs> no, that was an excellent commercial. I was just going to ask you where we can keep up with you on the socials. Everyone needs... Instagram, at least 10,000, so you can get the swipe up on the stories. Yeah, 10, or Facebook slash John Heffern if you're in Michigan. Doing a lot more shows here at home than on the road. Sticking close. Seeing a bowling alley somewhere up north. I was trying to do that in the fall. Like, that was my big thing is I was just like, why am I even going to leave Michigan? There's so many fun cities that I just go. All the fun's in Michigan. Yeah, I think your schedule's on johnheffron.com. Check it all out. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's finally, it was great to finally, I, I was looking at the thread when you gave me the link to how to talk to you. And I realized uh, it's been a long process. I've just been kept scrolling and it was always like, I'll do it in a week. I'll do it in, in with COVID. I just, you promise stuff and then you never write anything down. You're like, wait, when are we doing this? So I'm good. I'm glad I, I could finally close that open loop in my gut. And we finally did it. Yes. Thank you so much. I do appreciate it. You should stop by. I'm at the Comedy Castle in November. You should. Uh, I will definitely do that. Don't bring your, your buddy, though, because then if he hears anything somewhat similar to anything I did at the Spaghetti Bender in 1990 at Eastern, then I'm going to have to hear from that Yahoo. And I just don't have it in me. Oh, make sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep that Jeff away. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. How awesome was John Heffron? One of my favorite comedians ever since my days in college. Love listening to him on Q95.5 with Danny Bonaducci. So exciting to finally get a chance to hang with him. Love that story about Lucy Liu. It's amazing, isn't it? How just one event in your life can change the rest of your life forever. You just have to be open to it. Definitely check out John's books. I'll put a link to them in the show notes. Also, if John Heffron comes to your town, whether it be a comedy club or bowling alley, definitely go see John in concert. He's hilarious, and you'll have an amazing time laughing all night. Speaking of uh, having an amazing time, this episode was amazing, but we're nearing the end. The end of the episode is upon us, so that means only one thing, doesn't it? That's right. It means it's time for another trending hashtag from the world of hashtag Roundup. Follow hashtag Roundup on Twitter at hashtag Roundup. 
Download the absolutely always free Hashtag Roundup app for your Google or Apple phones. Play along with us every day, all day, and one day one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag, hashtag unlikely 2021 college course. Brought to you by The Unlikely Game, a weekly game on Hashtag Roundup. Time to dive into some unlikely 2021 college courses. Inspired, of course, by the conversation I had with John about registering for classes at Old Eastern Michigan University. Sit back and enjoy these hashtag unlikely 2021 college courses. How to get a degree in epidemiology simply by reading Facebook. Excellent unlikely college course. Science and other bogus facts. How to cover your nose with your mask. I think a lot of people need that one. Snapchat filters for dummies. The history of pizza toppings. Ooh, finally we can learn where pineapple pizza came from. Assembling Ikea furniture. That's an important course to take if you want to save your marriage one day in the future. McFlurry machine repair. Hopefully one day someone from McDonald's will take that class. Breathing while wearing a mask 101. I need that and 102. COVID home remedies. Yeah, that does. That sounds like a great class. Why should the pets get all the good medicine? How to hook a catfish? How to win an argument on the internet? The office quotes. These are all amazing hashtag unlikely 2021 college courses. Quantum physics for babies. Never too early to learn. I am Groot for beginners. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. I'm sorry. I shouldn't assume you also took that course and understood what I just said. And the final. Hashtag unlikely 2021 college course. Tequila 101. Tequila. All right. Those were awesome. And they're all, of course, retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show on Twitter. They will also be listed in the show notes. Retweet them. Show them some love. One day I'll read your tweet and you'll hope everyone retweets you as well. Show them some love. Here we are at the end of episode 77. Can you believe it? That just flew by, didn't it? I want to thank my guest, John Heffron, for joining me. I want to thank my friend, Jeff Gatz, for allowing me to share his John Heffron story with John and the world. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.